This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, podcast. Roddy Piper's not in heaven. He's in hell. Tony Khan shoots from the hip on the whole NHL to TNT situation. The Young Bucks shoot on their interactions with Triple H. And Dan Housen on Conan O'Brien? The fuck? I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. What a day. What a day. What a show. What a show we got going on here for you. What a day. What a show. We got a great fucking show going on here today. Jam-packed with all kinds of goodies and tidbits from the podcast world. I can't wait to get into it. I'm actually very excited. You know, sometimes there's weeks where the podcast game is weak and I got nothing to talk about and I got to try to bullshit my way through this whole show. Not today, folks. Not today. We got a jam-packed episode for you and none of them will ever compare to this first clip right here. We have the chairman of the board, Mr. Vince McMahon, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. On the Rowdy Roddy Piper A&E biography. You watch this. You know what I'm talking about. You all saw this. If you didn't see it, you all heard about it. There's this opening segment. Before we get a title card. Before we get any fucking thing. We get Vince McMahon rambling on. And his grumbly voice. Can barely understand the motherfucker. He sounds like an old grandpa. This is what he had to say. I can't even just just listen. Roddy. Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? We're just getting ready to do an interview about you. A little warm down there, huh? You what? I. Yeah, not anytime soon, though. You're holding a place for me, right? Right next to you at the table. Great. No, I no. I'm just going to talk about you. All good things, not to worry about it. Okay. Thanks, Roddy. Roddy's in heaven. Roddy's not in hell. Speechless. I was goddamn speechless. I turned this on, and I went to turn around and sit on the couch, and I no more had my butt in the seat, and I had to turn around and go, what the fuck did he just say? I rewound it. I had to listen to it again. I had to. How did this make air? That's what I want to know. Is somebody at A&E out to get Vince McMahon? Are they trying to get Vince canceled? I mean, this wasn't the worst thing he could say, right? I mean, this isn't a cancelable offense. Maybe. Who knows in this day and age. But certainly inappropriate. And his family's on this show. His family's going to watch this show. Do you think his kids, his beautiful, sexy, hot-ass daughter is going to want to turn on this TV and hear about Vince McMahon getting a phone call from Rowdy Rowdy Piper from hell? Vince is sick. He's a sick man. We know this. We all know this. As wrestling fans, we've been known this. Okay? 
I can't even say things on this podcast without getting canceled that Vince McMahon has said and done in the past. The man is a monster. Why would he even, where would you even get the idea to say this? What on earth would make you think that this was funny or witty or just joshing you? What the fuck? This is funny to Vince. This is... This is a joke to him. This is how he gets his rocks off. Ha <laughs> ha! That's good shit. Right? Now we know the mentality behind all the shit that goes on backstage. We've been known this, but this is confirmation of his lunacy, his depravity, his losing his fucking mind in his old age on top of it. Roddy's in hell. Come on, man. Didn't you learn from the Eddie's in hell thing? And that was 10 years ago. And people were fucking throwing a pissy fit about it. I can't believe they let that on air. I think somebody's got it out for Vince. That's what I think. Because if I was editing that show, I would say that's not going on air. What on earth made A&E think that was smart to put on TV? Even if it was dumb for Vince to say it, somebody in the editing room said, oh, let's put that right at the beginning. That's a good idea. That'll really fucking get everybody riveted. And it did. And the biography was great. It was a fantastic show. This was better than the Stone Cold one. If you're not watching these, what the fuck's your problem? Seriously, what the fuck in the fuck is your problem? Don't tell me you don't have cable and you cut the card and I don't know how to watch it anymore. You're not a pirate. If you're a cord cutter, you're a pirater, okay? If you're listening to this podcast, you know where to find it. If you want to find it, go fucking find the biographies. Watch the Stone Cold one. Absolutely watch the Roddy Piper. It was a fantastic one. But, man, you turn on that episode and the first thing you hear is Vince getting a phone call from Roddy from hell. Jesus Christ. Just when you thought the Wednesday Night Wars were done, we could be now staring down the barrel of the Tuesday Night Wars. Or possibly even another Monday Night Wars, though very less likely. The NHL was just picked up. One of their TV packages was just picked up by Turner Broadcasting, which means they have the option to put it on TNT, where AEW is, or put it on TBS, another viable option, of course. Is that still comedy? I don't even watch TV anymore. Is TBS still got the comedy gimmick where, where funny is or whatever their thing was? I don't know. Anyway, hockey's funny. Put it on TBS. But traditionally, hockey, so I hear. I don't really watch it, if we're just being honest here. Traditionally, though, from what I hear, hockey is a Wednesday night thing. You got Monday night football. You got Wednesday night hockey. And I think, what, basketball's on Tuesdays? They coordinate this shit, apparently. Maybe fucking volleyball's on Thursdays. Who knows? But we now find ourselves in a pickle where the NHL needs to find a time slot, most likely on a Wednesday night. What do we have on TNT, a Turner Network, on Wednesday night? AEW. Now, Tony Khan has gone on record on the Busted Open podcast this week and kind of laid out his thoughts on the what-ifs of this situation. Check this out. Uh Tony, uh, the Turner Broadcasting um, networks have gotten a lot stronger. The the NHL contract now seven years, 
you know, and now everybody's talking, oh my gosh, is AEW Dynamite going to move? Is this, is this going to be a, a crazy situation? Do you worry about that at all? Or are you perfectly fine to know that Wednesday night is your slot in your home? I know Wednesday nights are slot in our home and we're in a situation. I'm thrilled with our partnership with TNT. You know, it's a lifeblood of our company. It's our primary revenue source. And it's the way most fans get exposed to AEW and see the show. And tonight and every Wednesday that we do Dynamite, I think, uh, you know, for a lot of wrestling fans, it's a really important night of the week. And so I want everyone to rest assured that they're not going to have to worry about these kinds of majors. Um, You know, we have a contract. We have two and a half years left on it, over two and a half years left on it uh, for Wednesday nights in this slot. And if there was ever uh, an opportunity to move or if there was a, a deal to be had, I would consider it. And, it, you know, if we did something, it would have to be a really good deal for AEW. It would have to make sense for us. But, you know, as it stands right now, that's that is um, the spot we're in tonight, eight to ten Wednesday nights on TNT. And if we move, uh, you know, I I would certainly consider, a, a, you know, a deal if there was uh, something in it for AEW. So in no uncertain terms, Tony kind of basically laid it out like, hey, we got a fucking contract here, so they're not exactly just going to bump us, at least not for two, two and a half years. But if they want to make an offer and they want to work something out, do an arrangement, then he's all for it if it benefits AEW. AEW in its infancy right now can't really afford to start moving nights. Now look, we've been wrestling fans a long, long time, some of us here, and wrestling changes nights. SmackDown's been on every goddamn night of the week at least twice. Monday Night Raw's even been on a Thursday from time to time, or maybe even a Tuesday once or something. I don't fucking know. And TNA, Impact, I mean, they change nights and TV channels and stations every month or so, so... We're used to this as wrestling fans. We adapt. We roll with the punches. If it changes nights, we'll find it. They'll tell us we're watching the show. They're going to tell us for a couple weeks. They're going to tell us on podcasts. It's going to be on social media. We'll hear it. We'll know. And we'll watch. But you will lose some viewers. Maybe some people work those weird schedules where they got a Wednesday night off, but they work Tuesday nights. Can't watch it. Fucked. And then there's also, you know, you're right back in the situation of the Wednesday Night Wars again. Am I going to watch NXT or am I going to watch AEW? And we already know by the numbers, it's a proven fact that there are people that are watching NXT that would watch AEW if they were on different nights to the tune of about 200,000 or so, as we've seen. So I don't know that this is going to hurt AEW if they ever did have to switch nights. Uh, it wouldn't be a good thing for him, but it's not going to kill him or anything. I know some people would be excited to see them on a Monday night, but I think Tony Khan's been pretty adamant that he doesn't want to compete with Monday Night Football because his other team, his other little side project, the Jacksonville Jaguars, have you heard of him? Just Tony's little side project when he's not doing wrestling. He's got this little football team thing going on over here. So... And, and then you guys over in England and shit, the people overseas, I see some of you are listening from overseas. Those people, you guys know soccer, Fulham, right? That's the thing over there. Not soccer, it's football over there. Sorry, excuse me. The thing where you kick the ball. He's got that shit, the polka dotted ball thing. I'm just kidding. I played soccer when I was a kid. Fuck off. I had the shin guards and everything. Don't tell me. 
can't put me in a box, son. But I do get worried because AEW is so new. The last thing I want to hear is that they like end up getting, well, they can't get canceled because they got a contract. But I do worry in the back of my mind sometimes that AEW is not going to get renewed because it was a buddy deal. Tony Khan knew the guy that signed the deal, signed the re-up. They were buddy-buddy. It was pals. If you're pals with your friend, you're at a party. You go to your friend's house for a party, and he just so happens to fucking run TNT. You just so happen to want to put a wrestling show on TV. Hey, I'm your buddy. Let's do a buddy deal. He doesn't have that buddy anymore. And AEW does great for TNT. It's, I believe, the highest-rated show on its whole fucking channel until hockey gets there. So I don't think they're going to be in any big hurry to get rid of them. But... You know, once upon a time, the network decided they didn't really want wrestling in their fucking portfolio anymore, and they gave it the old boot. Despite what you guys would want to think, that Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo ruined the company, and, you know, to a certain extent, they lowered the ratings and the quality of the product, but I'll argue that it's no worse than what's going on on Monday Night Raw right now. Sue me. Fight me. I don't care. Monday Night Raw sucks ass right now. But at the end of the day, it was TNT that decided we don't want wrestling on our network anymore. They never outright said it was a ratings issue because it wasn't. It was a, we just don't like wrestling. And that could very well happen again. So I always have that in the back of my mind when these little things pop up. You know, I thought they had their nice little home on a Wednesday night. Turns out. Maybe not so much, but who knows? Turner could put it on TBS. Turner could put it on after AEW. They could put it on before AEW. AEW could move up an hour and be 7 to 9. I think they could end up doing lots of different things. But at the end of the day, I just hope that AEW stays on national TV. Because whether you like it or not, it's good for the fucking business. Plus, I like it, so fuck you guys. The newly turned dastardly heels, the Young Bucks, were on the Talk and Shot podcast with the Good Brothers. Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, Doc Gallows, if you're into that shit. And this was a fun little podcast. Talking Shop's not really an interview. They don't really, like, ask questions or anything. It's not, it's not your typical podcast format. It's very much just a conversation. They basically just, they showed a little clip of it actually on being the elite. Essentially, they put their fucking iPhone down on the table and they just bullshit and they just talk. So in this episode, uh, they talked about there's this fun little spot where Matt Jackson accidentally sent a screenshot of his fucking bank account to a bunch of the wrestlers. And apparently the guy's fucking loaded, so... There's that. So that was a fun little story. They talk about that for a little while. Gallo says it got his dick hard, so that's fun. But here's this clip from the Talking Shop podcast with the Young Bucks talking about their interactions with Triple H. He's great. One, talk- of, the great, one of the great charmers of our business. I must, have spent, too, I must have spent 10 hours on the phone with that guy. Yeah, maybe more total. How yeah. close were you? So, yeah, let's get to that. Yeah, how so, close, how was close that? were was you guys? Close? I'll tell you this. One time... At the very beginning of negotiations, because the money gets so big at some point. This right. is before AEW. And your money. This goes- is before AEW. Uh, I remember I talked to him a few times, and this guy, he just, he's so smart because we would start a call and 
within the first few minutes of the, first, of the call, he would already have a second call booked in a week or whatever. Yeah. Like he was, he was so clever. This five minute conversation turns into 45 minutes. Now we're like, it's fun to talk to him. It's great. Yep. And everything he said was right. He's yeah. like, listen, if you guys do the indies, yeah, you could go make a million, but hey, what if you get injured? Yeah. That money's not guaranteed. Not guaranteed. He said that to us about coming here. And we saw that. He's like, you guys can make money for your, your kids' kids. Come here. I'm like, wow. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. That's one of the stiffest lines. So don't worry, you did it. I want to yeah. watch your children grow up. Yeah. Right. By the end of that conversation, he offers me the first deal, which is a lot of money. Between yeah. the two of us, it's probably close to a million bucks, right? And I hang up the phone. I, I remember shutting the thing. And I go to Dan and I go, oh, we might be going to the WWE. <laughs> so I told Dan, I'm like, I'm blown away. Right then, we knew our street value. We were yeah. like, wow, because we were. That was just the that's first. A, that was the first offer. Yeah. That was offer one. Anything was possible. We were talking Impact. We were talking yeah, to, to Stain with Ring of Honor. We were talking with WWE, obviously, and then we had Tony. Yeah, this was something that they go into much more detail about in their book, but it's basically the same exact story. They were courted heavily by Triple H. They were called constantly. Triple H was always following up with them, always throwing more money at them, according to the Young Bucks anyway. But they've they've told the same exact story in their book um, that you know the offer just kept going up, and this was really a thing where Triple H was really trying to secure the services of the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. And he was smart to do so because Triple H is a smart guy. I would argue there is, and I'll gladly hear your case, but I I dare say that there's no bigger ever in the history of independent wrestling since the territories closed and there was only WWE, maybe WCW, maybe TNA, and everything else was the indies. I venture to say that the Young Bucks were the biggest indie stars of all time. Hard to argue. They have Funko Pops. Name another indie star who had Funko Pops. Oh, wait. Hold on. Exactly. So Triple H knew he had a gem on his hand. He knew that he needed the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. And if AEW went to started, they absolutely should have signed that contract. But I think AEW is the right place for them because they're able to be... They are the mainstream indie. They are the television indie promotion. WWE is always going to be WWE, and nobody will ever beat them. Not even AEW. Never on their best day. Even though they're with... Fuck, Raw was... They're, they're literally like 700,000 viewers apart at this point, which is a lot. But not really. Not even... No. They're like, what? 500,000 viewers apart at this point, not even. The latest Raw only did like what, one and a half million? AEW did 1.2 million. They're close. They're very close. But there will only be one WWE. AEW is the alternative. And this was a long winded fucking sidebar of a sidebar of a sidebar to say. Triple H tried to fucking sign the Young Bucks and they didn't want to do it. Go check out the fucking... Hey, I'm trying to put on a show here. Fuck off, all right? If I just said what happened, then I would be a fucking... Just a boring news guy. I got to put on a show for you. I am a podcast journalist, first and foremost, but I'm also here to entertain you guys. So that's what I do. 
Go check out Talking Shop. Young Bucks are on there. They do a little clip of it on Being the Elite. Check that out, too. Check it all out. Just check, 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 check. One of the things I love most about doing this podcast is I never have any idea where the road's going to take me at all. You know, I opened up the show. My very first episode was with the Joe Rogan experience. I didn't plan to cover a Joe Rogan podcast when I got into this podcast here, but I ended up doing it right on my first episode. And in my wildest dreams, I never thought I would be covering a Conan O'Brien podcast. That's right. Conan O'Brien with the hair, the red hair with the pointy thing and the beady eyes and the really tall. Anyway, Conan, one of my favorite comedians, super funny. Like if I'm going to pick out talk show guys and stuff, I'm actually a huge fan of Fallon too. I love Jimmy Fallon, but more of just like a a soft spot, cushy in my heart for him. You know, he makes me, gives me the warm and tinglys, but Conan is legit funny and cool. And like a guy I would want to actually meet. He was a writer for the Simpsons. I mean, what more could you want from a comedian? I mean, we're talking top star level. So imagine my surprise when Dan Housen makes a fucking appearance on the Conan O'Brien podcast. You got to hear it to believe it. Check this out. So, uh, Donovan, you are a professional wrestler. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Now, uh, help me because... I know of a type of professional wrestler that has a character, and I don't know, are you a professional wrestler who's really wrestling and using wrestling moves and it's not that fun to watch, or are you a, prof- a, a wrestler who's also kind of a performer and has a, a character? Uh, I am a character. Um, actually, I have a picture if you want to see it. It's a, uh, oh that's my God. me. Okay. Well, we are a podcast, so I'm going to describe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you're sort of demonic looking. You, you, you just showed me a picture of uh, what looked like a very fierce, evil, demonic wrestler. Yes. So I go by the moniker, very nice, very evil, because nobody likes somebody who's too evil. So I in- introduce the nice part of it. So then they buy into it and I can trick them. Okay. Very nice, very evil. Often I get described if uh, somebody, a demon possessed you actually. <laughs> Oh, a demon possessed me. Because I'm heavily influenced by you rather than other wrestlers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You mean of the wrestlers, I'm the one that's influenced you the most. (laughs) Yes, yes, of course. That's fantastic. Um, (laughs) Describe then a demonic Conan uh, O'Brien as a wrestling character. What I utilize, so I pour teeth in my opponent's mouths. (laughs) Uh, to disorient them. Pour and what in their mouth? <laughs> human teeth. You pour human teeth what? into the mouth. Amazing. I love how that's people see that and go, oh, that is so Conan. <laughs> that is. No, no, no. It's just, I think it's the presentation because I influ- I take a lot of like Simpsons references and references from you and just uh, 80s horror movies. <laughs> and I pull it all together because these, these are the things that I like. So I included it into the character because wrestling should be fun. Yes, wrestling. Just saying, <laughs> it shouldn't be work. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Uh, so, um, okay. My wrestling name is Dan Housen, and I add Housen to everything so- to make it all about me. <laughs> that's, that's very, very Cody. Yeah. Okay, that's very nice, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Not too familiar with the Dan Housen. I, I am familiar with him enough to know who he is before I heard this podcast. I've seen clips of him. You know, I've definitely seen the pouring the teeth gimmick. Uh, you know, and just seen a lot of his pr- more of his promos than his in ring work, but. 
Dan Housen, great character on the Indies, I think we all can say, and probably has a pretty bright future. I don't think he's going to stay in the Indies. He's made a big enough name for himself. I don't think he's like a war horse, right? Remember that fucking guy? The skinny fucking metal rocker, ultimate warrior, headbanger guy that Cody Rhodes defended the TNT title against on national fucking TV? Yeah. And Tony Khan's went on to say, you know, we got a lot of great talent out of that TNT title reign and a lot of shitty, stupid fucks that I never want in this building again. He didn't quite say it like that, but he insinuated, right? Dan Housen's got a future. He's not that big of a guy, but uh, wrestling has proven these days that size really isn't all that important anymore. Character is. I don't know if the teeth pouring thing's really going to make it on a national TV, but he's got something. And it was nice to see him get that exposure. It's nice to see wrestling in general get that kind of exposure. on Because Conan O'Brien is a huge A-list star. Like, he gets all of the top talent on his show. All of the top talent on his podcast. So to have a fucking Dan Housen on his podcast, it's just great. Just some fucking random indie guy doing a fun little indie gimmick. And he Conan was just fucking tickled pink. He just so amused with Dan Housen. And he wasn't even in character. But he was just so amused by it, he started trying to book his own his own uh run-in in a Dan Housen match. And of course Dan Housen shot him down and said it was total bullshit and stupid as fuck. But hey, I mean, that's you know, get the brains together, collab. I think they could bust something out, but this was a fun little interview. It was just a little clip uh, Conan was doing. I think I'm not entirely sure, but I believe it to be some kind of gimmick where he has fans call in and he talks to a fan every once in a while. And this fan just happened to be Dan Housen. And it was internet magic. So I highly recommend you seek this out. I don't know if there's clips on YouTube or not, but definitely in the podcast. You'll know it. It's titled Fan Housen. It's two worlds colliding, pure magic. Chris Jericho made another appearance on the Busted Open podcast, talking with Bully Ray and Dave LaGreca. And it was all about the Blood and Guts show coming up next week here for AEW. This week, depending on when you're listening to this. And Dave and Bully asked Jericho about some of the things they've noticed with AEW as far as kind of tightening up ship, as they as they call it, and just sort of tightening up all those loose ends and making kind of a, a more tight-knit, uh, more cohesive product. And here's what Jericho had to say about that. Very interesting. Check this out. Have you seen the show getting better with your own eyes? And are you happy the way the product looks on TV every week? Yeah, I really am. And it wasn't like I was saying that kind of in a, a egotistical way um, because I am involved kind of some of, in some of the overall, um, you know, uh, backstage ideas and thoughts. I mean, we, we, we have, you know, production meeting now before the show that really wasn't happening a lot. We have an agent's meeting, a coach's meeting before the show that wasn't happening before. And the reason for those is to make sure that we don't kind of have the same thing happening um you know, twice. We don't want to have, you know, a beat down with a, I don't know, a coffee cup in segment two and have a beat down with a coffee cup in segment three because nobody kind of uh, coordinated with that with anybody else. And I think you'll see a lot more of that 
over the, over the next little while because we were realizing we are doing some of the same things, similar things uh, in the same show. Uh, how can we eliminate that? Because if Jericho's worried about his stuff and Kenny and, and Don are worried about their stuff and Cody's worried about his stuff, we all know what we're doing, but sometimes we don't really express that to each other and suddenly sometimes things are a little bit similar. So we've been really working on that. And I think, like you said, it's really been paying off to that. We are kind of not stepping on each other's toes and still allowing everybody to be creative and, uh, and, and have some awesome ideas and just make sure that we're kind of staying out of each other's uh, zip codes um, throughout each week when you're doing kind of a lot of these intricate things. They have, they really have. One of the things you can't deny about AEW is they do tend to be getting a little bit cleaner, a little bit more organized, a little bit more polished, not completely, and they don't need to be completely, to be honest, because you want that wild, unpredictable, slightly out-of-control feel. You know, you want that element of live TV that you never know exactly what's going to happen next. And it's not as clean and polished. A WWE product is so polished, right? You could fucking eat your dinner off of WWE. But AEW is still a young company. They're very young. They're green. There's so many people, and it's the internet, and I get it because I'm on here. I'm with you guys. I'm part of you guys. But there is... People on the internet, and you know who you are, that just want to talk shit and just jab at everything. Oh, you suck at this. You suck at that. They suck at this. For AEW, it's every little thing. Oh, this, 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 this. They're a brand new company. They are greener than goose shit. Tony Khan has no experience in wrestling at all. And some of you will look at it from the perspective of if you're going to have wrestling on national TV... Hire somebody with experience to run it for you. I say, fuck that. I think what gives AEW their edge, what gives them their fucking the vibe that they have, they're like the Major League Indie. I mean that with all the most respect I can put on it. This is the company, if you are an indie wrestler, you can take your act up to AEW and have an opportunity to succeed on a national level as yourself in your indie act as your indie character as you intended it as you want to do it and they'll be there to help you and help polish it help guide you mold you train you better all of it's a work in progress though they are simultaneously nxt right you always hear dustin rhodes qt marshall they're training guys they're taking half of their young roster and they're doing drills with them in the ring constantly. They have actual training classes, just like NXT does. Not to the level that NXT does, but they organize those things backstage. These people are learning on the job, but we want it that way. I think the people that like AEW want it that way. I'm not going to say we, because some of you don't. But I think if you're an AEW fan, I think that's part of it. It's the big indie promotion. It's... It's got the indie feel because it uses the indie guys. It, it, you know, that's why Excalibur is there. It's the molding of two things. You have Jim Ross there to represent the professional wrestling, the history, the lineage, the fucking, the, the wrestling. This is the old school guy, the establishment guy. Then you have Excalibur. He's the fucking indie guy. He's the guy that knows all the super califlipalistic moves and shit like that. 
He's the guy that knows the obscure history behind everybody except for Trent's fucking question mark. Then you got Tony Schiavone there. He's just wrestling's dad. He's there for nostalgia. He's there for the feel good. He's there for the tradition of TNT wrestling. The voice of wrestling on TNT is Tony Schiavone. And he's wrestling's dad. He's the nicest, most, like, he has got to be the one of the most lovable guys in all of professional wrestling. And funniest, sarcastic, witty, smart as a motherfucker, and hip, willing to change with the times and understand the new kids and not really looking back at the past. It's a great meld that they have going on there. And this is a work in progress. If you like AEW, you like it because you're along for that ride. You are there to watch a company grow from the beginning into this fucking beautiful flower. WWE is over 50 years, over 70 years, if you believe the old World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, a revolutionary force in sports entertainment. Yeah, that was fucking 20 years ago. So 70 years of some form of WWE, F, WWF capital was the capital wrestling was that one of them too yeah i believe so so all i'm trying to say is this aew is a grassroots from the ground up by wrestling fans for wrestling fans it's not gonna be wwe right off the bat but give them time to develop and grow into themselves and they're gonna be a much more polished much more cohesive it's gonna the things that you don't like are gonna start to drift away unless you're jim Cornette and you're just never going to accept it that's life check out busted open on sirius satellite radio if you subscribe to that if not feel free to check out the podcast they drop the highlights if they do an interview it's gonna be right there right on that little podcast button just like the tony Khan clip from earlier Eric Bischoff was bearing TNA on 83 weeks this week. This time it was the TNA name itself. Check this out. Uh, somehow, some way, Spike is going to be kicking in some cash. And it's also in my research here that, yes, it was indeed Vince Russo who gets the credit for the name TNA. I think it's been said that he actually sold Jerry Jarrett on the idea that it meant total nonstop action. Huh? Uh, but of course, Jim Cornette says, nope, it was because of tits and ass. TNA to me is just, and, and I don't know, maybe it's because I know too much about how and why and how stupid the idea was from the get-go and it only got worse and then to just keep driving and driving. And then, and then when a company like Viacom, who's willing to spend money that they don't have to spend, keep in mind, Viacom was also paying for Hulk Hogan and Sting and Kurt Angle and Eric Bischoff and probably more people than, than I know. Um, to offset the expense to, to TNA so they could you know, stay in profit. Great. If you can get a network to do that, you're a magician. And, and they did. And, and not only did, did Viacom want and agree to spend the money and bear the expense of a complete rebranding and strategy and the research that went along with it to support it, there were people internally in TNA that were resisting it and fighting it. I'm talking about on a management side. Can you imagine that? It is a stupid name. It's a stupid Vince Russo gimmick. It's a Vince Russo name with the fucking innuendo and ooh, sex and ooh, titties, ah, tits and ass. We're going to appeal to all the 
fucking guys jerking off in their mom's basement, which I apologize because me and my entire fan base are the guys jerking off in their mom's basement, right? But that's besides the point. We're going to just throw that part of this out of here. It's appealing to the lowest common denominator. Tits and ass wrestling. Come on, man. It was a stupid name. It should have been dropped the second that they dropped the weekly or monthly pay-per-view gimmick that they were doing instead of doing, you know, once they went to TV, they should have switched to Impact. They already had the name. They already called the show Impact. So call the company Impact. Change the whole fucking thing. They did it, finally, but now it's too late. Now everybody still calls them TNA, and everybody thinks of them as TNA, and they got the TNA stink. But let's be real. It's not the name. The name sucks. The name's horrible. The name is a bruise on the face of Impact Wrestling, just in name. But it was the booking itself, the whole fucking show that created the TNA stink, doesn't have the TNA stink because the name sucks. It has the TNA stink because TNA. And TNA had a lot of wonderful moments. Not all of it was bad. I think a lot of it gets painted with a bad brush, and I'm one of the first people to do it. And I'm sorry about that because some of you are huge TNA fans. And I get it because there was Samoa Joe. There was AJ Styles. Jeff Jarrett, if you liked that kind of thing. Abyss was really cool. TNA had a lot of good shit going on for it. Even when they brought in Hulk and they had all the WWE wash-ups and stuff and they were all their main eventers and shit. Even then, they had a lot of good things going for it. But that name, Total Nonstop Action. If they would have just called it Total Nonstop Action without the initials, that might have worked if that's where they wanted to go, but that wasn't where they wanted to go. They wanted to go, <laughs> it says TNA. The guy is jerking off in their mom's basement. They're going to love it. They're still trying to cash in on the bra and panty fucking aspect of pro wrestling. It was a dark, dark era of pro wrestling. And, you know, hey, I was in my formative years back in the Attitude Era. So trust me, seeing tits and ass on my TV and bra and panties matches didn't make me feel bad. I wasn't complaining, but when you look back at it, come on, you can do better. You can do better. Do better. So the whole idea behind TNA was just a bunch of bullshit to begin with. If it was up to me, I would have ended it with the monthly pay-per-views. As soon as they went on national TV, they could have rebranded. But either way, we would have been in the same spot with that TNA stink and Impact slowly pulling themselves out of the gutter, doing the best they can to get away from that TNA brand. And, you know, hopefully someday they'll be there. Hopefully they'll be accepted as their own quasi-independent, quasi-television company. But they, they got a long ways to go to outrun that shit. Speaking of TNA, the newest man in the podcast world, Double J, Jeff Jarrett, made an appearance on Chris Van Vliet's podcast, Insight with Chris Van Vliet. And they talked about a whole bunch of stuff. Some of it I want to cover here, but Jeff had indicated that he's going to talk about it in more detail on his podcast. And look, guys, I got to look out for my future, all right? I got to save stuff. This is job security here. But I did pick out this one clip from this episode that I did want to share with you. This was on the origin of the six-sided ring. Controversial. Some people like it. Some people don't like it. Check out this clip. But I always wondered how the evolution went from the four-sided ring to the six-sided. 
back to the four-sided. Was that your decision? It certainly wasn't my decision to go back um, at, at all. Um, and, and we're going to get into this on my world. And Conrad, again, it's another one of those stories. He asked me almost the same question. He's like, what's that about? And I'm sitting in my home office and there's a picture of the six-sided ring. And, you know, I, it's no secret. I've traveled to Mexico, uh, Pena, uh, Antonio, a, a good friend of mine, um, a big part of the early days. Uh, he sent luchadors up here, which heavily influenced the X Division and everything that goes with it. But I really love the six-sided ring because when you looked at it, the world knew that's not WWE. That, that's not WWE. Oh, what is that? And you got to remember, those were the early years in a lot of ways of UFC. Um, that, that, you know, the octagon, it was getting hot and j- just all those, uh, that, that whole vibe around it. And then the thing that was the, the game changer and, and, uh, we're going to get really deep into the numbers on it was the action figures, us getting shelf space in Walmarts and back in those days, God rest his soul, toys are us, but it, it immediately gave us a six sided ring. Oh, WWE doesn't offer that. We're taking it. So that just opens up a huge business opportunity. And and I just thought it had a different vibe and set us apart. Now, did it sell tickets or get ratings? No, but it did set us apart from a business perspective. I mean, it makes total sense as far as the reason why you would choose that. Uh, You want to set yourself apart. You don't want to be WWE light. And that's a dangerous, slippery slope. Uh, you could argue that AEW, when you look at it on TV, is a generic version of WWE. I love AEW, so I'm not bashing them by any stretch. But, you know, they got the Tron, they got the ramp. Sometimes, well, now they got the, the walkway thing or whatever. But you get my point. Traditional ring, big Tron. It's a wrestling show inspired by WWE. So Jeff Jarrett decided that we got to go a different way. We got to set ourselves apart. We got to look different. Now, as as he said, he got the idea from Mexico. So certainly the six-sided ring was already a thing, but it was in another country. Not everybody watches wrestling. And was it CMLL that has the six-sided ring? Nobody watches that shit here in America. Maybe down in like Texas or, you know, towards the border states area. Uh, They get some of that uh, Mexican wrestling on their TV, but we certainly don't uh, all the way up here in the northern parts of the United States. So for all intents and purposes, it was a brand new product to be bringing to the wrestling market. A shitty ring to bump in by all accounts. Uh, Nobody has any good things to say about working in the six-sided ring, but certainly when you see it on TV, you know that, okay, this is something different. And whether that's good, whether that's bad, it's different. And different is, in my opinion, is a good thing. I think if I'm flipping through channels and I've never heard of TNA, I've never saw TNA before, I see the six-sided ring, it's going to catch my attention at the very least. I mean, I'm a wrestling fan, so any wrestling is going to catch my attention. But you get my point, right? It stands out. It sets them apart. It makes you go, oh, who's that? Or, oh, what's that? So... For that purpose alone, I think it was a good decision to have the six-sided ring. Um, But I kind of agreed when Hogan and Bischoff came in and they said, we're we're done with the playpen ring. It's time to go back to wrestling. Wrestling happens in a four-sided ring. And I, I do agree to that to a certain extent. I'm not opposed to switching it up. But to me, 
TNA never, I don't know. Like, the ring didn't do anything for them other than make them look different. So uh, I would argue, you know, if it's difficult to work in and, you know, like Hulk said, some people look at it as a playpen ring. Maybe it is a good idea if you're going to go head-to-head with Monday Night Raw that you switch it to a four-sided ring. I remember that promo distinctively. He was very Hollywood Hogan when he came out and did that. The crowd booed. And Hulk just shut him down. He's like, nope, doesn't matter. It's gone. And uh, it wasn't necessarily a bad decision, but, uh, you know, Jeff's decision to make it a six-sided ring wasn't a bad decision either. Either way you go works for me. It's all in the presentation and how you do it. I mean, at the end of the day, a ring's a ring. Uh, You could sell me on it either way, but it's fun to hear the origin of it and where these things come from and the idea behind it, uh, according to Jeff. I liked this interview. I think Jeff's got a lot to say, and I'm very interested in hearing what his podcast's all about. Um, You know, I could see where he might get on my nerves just a little bit after a full podcast, but overall, he's very knowledgeable, and I think he's going to bring a lot of great content to this show, to his show, to the internet, to us, the wrestling fans, going forward. And for that, as Chris Van Vliet would respect, I am grateful. You can check out Chris Van Vliet's Insight Podcast every single Tuesday, every single Thursday, and sometimes other days of the week, too. And while we're on the topic of Chris Van Vliet interviewing Double J... We got a clip from another Chris Van Vliet interview with another Double J. Only this time, this Double J is Jim motherfucking Johnston. That's J-I. Okay, it doesn't work when you do it with him. Anyway, great interview here. Check out this clip where Jim talks about the origin of entrance music in WWF. Uh, And he said I could stumble through and put together a video, but I have no clue how to put music to it. You know, if you want to give it a try. So I did uh, through that. I met Vince. Vince and I inexplicably hit it off tremendously well. And um, and and this is early on when there really wasn't entrance music. No, not there really wasn't. There wasn't entrance music. Um, As a matter of fact, one of my favorite stories is Vince's father when uh, Vince bought the company from his dad. And he wanted to put music in, and his father told him, if you put music to this program, you will completely kill this business. And (laughs) so big miss by dad there. So so Vince and I just sort of kept, uh, you know, developing the idea. And, you know, it's just, it's just one of a truly organic process. It was not a big plan. You will kill the business, Papa Vince said, according to good old Double J. What a big fat piece of baloney that was, huh? Kill the business. Wrestling entrance music is the greatest thing ever, is it not? How many of you have just taking a shower one morning, and you're just singing, I'm just a sexy boy, sexy boy. You're singing it to yourself. It's all about the game, and I play it. Everybody loves wrestling entrance themes, right? Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, all of them. They're just fantastic. And you have Jimmy Hart to thank for a good handful of them. And then you have Jim Johnston. 
both of them created great music. Both of them were, I, I don't know that I could put one over the other. Probably Jim over Jimmy, but you got the Jims. You got the Jimmies on the case, the Jim Jims, the Jim Jiminies making your music for you. It's a great thing. Entrance music is always my favorite. Remember the WWE, the music volumes, and then didn't they change it to something else? Uh, full metal or full something? I don't fucking know. doesn't matter. But entrance music's are the shit. Uh, for my money, some of my favorites from Jim Johnston. Uh, obviously, The Undertaker's is a classic, but the DX theme is great. Uh, the Triple H theme is great. Uh, the fucking Gangrel theme, the Brood. That music gets me going to this day. I'll put that shit on when I'm on my way out to the club, getting ready to go clubbing all by myself because nobody goes out anywhere anymore because of the Rona. But you get my point. Then Jim talked about his thoughts on today's entrance music. Check out this clip. I felt a great responsibility, like part of these guys careers and successes were in my hands. And, you know, I, I think the, the music now in WWE and in AEW, um, I, I think it's all really homogenous and really mediocre and doesn't have anything to do with the characters. And I think that's why there are less big stars. Yes and no. I like the CFOs. Uh, there are no Jim Johnsons, but I like the CFOs. Not all of them, though. A lot of it is generic guitar, especially in AEW. Again, I'm not trying to bash AEW. I love them, but their entrance music, especially when Big Show came out. I talked about it on this show when he made his debut. How awful was his entrance music? Uh, I think a lot of theirs is just stock, generic shit guitar riffs. Um, it's all guitar. It's all just... It, none of it, it all kind of sounds the same. It's all from the same guy, I do believe. Sounds like it anyway, if it's not. Um, none of it really stands out. You know, certainly the music that Tony licensed, uh, the Jungle Boy theme and, and shit like that, Jericho's theme, those aren't original AEW themes, though. So all in all, yeah, I'd say AEW's music sucks, and a great handful of WWE's music sucks, too. Um, not a fan of Seth Rollins theme, not a fan of, I don't know, I'm not going to sit here and run through them all, but they're not Jim Johnston themes. I believe the last holdover, obviously, other than like Shawn Michaels or The Undertaker or, you know, those kind of guys, like the legends when they come out, obviously, but the last holdover of like current active roster, young guys in their prime, Baron Corbin, surprisingly, is a Jim Johnston theme, but why would you cut a guy like Jim Johnston? Was, was it a money-saving thing? Was it just to freshen things up? Was it a buddy deal? Because I would argue freshening things up doesn't make sense because the Baron Corbin theme, end of days, is it's fresh. It doesn't sound like the fucking Honky Tonk Man theme, which was Jimmy Hart, but you get what I'm saying. It's not an 80s theme. It's fresh. It's modern. It sounds up to date. I don't think Johnston was losing his touch by any stretch. So at the end of the day, who knows why they do the things that they do, especially Vince. Vince just wakes up one day and fucking changes his whole mind about everything. And he's a crazy man and he's allowed to make those decisions. But 
Jim Johnston, a legend, he does sound a tad bit bitter. You know, he was asked about, you know, if you were to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, he says, eh, I mean, it would be an honor, but at the same time, I really don't care to see any of those people. Uh, he seems salty that no other wrestling company has hit him up for business. You know, uh, I mean, definitely an AEW should scoop him up. Uh, they could use him or at least commission him for a couple. Commission him. Do it on a per-project basis. Uh, apparently, he did the theme for uh, PCO, which is dope. I went back and listened to it and tried to see if I could pick up on the Jim Johnston vibes going on in there. And uh, it actually did sound a little bit like Kane's theme. I think he borrowed a little bit from that. But when you look at a PCO and you look at Kane, they're not too dissimilar in character. So I get where he was coming from, especially because Jim talks about, you know, when, when I come up with a theme, this is how I come up with it. I look at the character. I look at how they walk. I look at their demeanor. I look at this. And blah, 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 blah. So I get it. I get where he's coming from. Great interview. I would I would absolutely recommend you go check this out. Um, I think Jim's only done one other interview that I'm aware of on the podcast front. Way back in the day, he did a episode of Stone Cold's podcast. And he talks about a lot of the same stuff, but Chris is a really good interviewer and he got a lot of new stuff out of him and got to kind of hear a whole new side of him and he even plays a little bit of The Undertaker's theme. So what's not to love about all this? It's wrestling and it's wrestling music. What else could you ask for? Sexy boy, sexy boy. Sean Ross Sapp interviewed Sammy Guevara this week for Fightful. And uh, the whole interview was to promote Blood and Guts, of course, coming up this week here. But in the interview, Sean asked Sammy about that whole TNA incident, or impact incident, I should say. You remember from way back in the day that thing that happened with Sammy and TNA, you know, like a month ago, where fucking Sammy was supposed to be booked on impact, and then he didn't like the way he was going to be used? Check out this clip. Needless to say, Sammy Guevara's had some controversy this you year. You don't little, say. A little bit, a oh little bit. There was word that maybe you were going to walk through a forbidden door, go over to Impact, and it didn't happen. Oh, shit. Any Anything you can add to that? I understand if you don't want to. That's fine. Um, Nah, man. I, I got no real... I'm not going to go too much into it, but sure. it's like, yeah, there was a... Uh, you punched Scott Demore in the face. That's what happened. You fought yeah, Scott Demore. Yeah, so I DeMore. went over there. I punched Scott Demore. I said, I'm not doing none of your creative. Screw everybody. Nah. Um, now we're just, you know, it's just uh, it's business at the end of the day. Uh, what was presented, this, I didn't see it working for me. Um, I still wish nothing but the best for Impact and everybody out there. I didn't put no information out online. You know, um, and I know there's only a certain amount of people that knew certain information. So the information that was put out online is only coming from one side. Um, I wish we could have kept it more just close net instead of having to make it everybody's business because it's, I don't feel like it wasn't necessary for everybody to know any of this stuff. Sure. So that's why I started trolling on the vlog. I'm like, because then certain things are coming out where I'm like, yo, this is not true at all. So I'm like, you know, don't believe everything you, you read online. Um, but hey, man, it all is what it is. We all could have handled things better. Um, 
but that's life in general, man. You, you live, you learn, you, you grow and go. That pretty much confirms it. You know, we, we speculated on it. The internet speculated on it, but that's pretty much confirmation right there. I mean, he just didn't like what they had in mind for him, so fuck him. And he said, and, and it was even more interesting that he said it was his, he wanted to keep it private, but because they wanted to go out public and say something about it and try to bury Sammy, Sammy's going to fire back and joke at them back about it. He don't give a fuck. Sammy don't give a fuck. He's a star on the rise. He's got an attitude problem. He's that young, cocky, up-and-coming punk. And he's really a sweetheart. I love Sammy. I'm a huge, huge Sammy Guevara fan. He might be my top five in the business currently right now. Uh, Huge follower of his vlog. Check out his vlog this week, by the way. Amazing content. I couldn't, I wanted to take a clip from it, but the the audio and the video wasn't, the video that was showing was cool, but it wasn't going to make for good audio. So uh, I just go check out the whole thing. They do a lot of really cool skits on there, especially there's one where Cody is teasing Fuego, dangling a contract in front of him for AEW to be a part of the Nightmare family. It's just good shit. Better than BTE. If you like BTE, it's exactly like BTE, only better. But that's a sidebar. Let's get back on the track. So Sammy didn't like what TNA had in mind for him. So he said, fuck yeah. And he just laughed it off. Sammy's a good guy. Sammy's a good guy, but he's got that young, wild spirit to him still. You know, these are still a playful child inside of him. He's not a mature man. He doesn't see the world from that perspective yet. He's cocky. He's And, And that's good. You want that. You want those young, hungry, cocky guys. This business was built on guys with egos bigger than the business itself. So, long story short, fuck Impact. If I don't like what you're booking for me, fuck you. I'm not doing it. It doesn't work for me, brother. And that's that. And he's not afraid to admit it. So, good shit. Good for Sammy. Check out his vlog. Check out Sean Ross Sapp. He's the motherfucking man. I know you've heard the name, but if you haven't watched any of his interviews or just his regular podcasts or read his articles or whatever the fuck, he's a newsbreaker in this business. He's one of the top guys in the wrestling media. Put him right up there with Meltzer. Go check out all his shit. He's a fun guy to watch, and he's got a lot of great interviews. MVP was on After the Bell this week talking with Corey Graves and Vic Joseph, talking about... The Hurt Business, talking about Bobby Lashley, the champ, talking about the transition from being a pro wrestler into being a manager. Check this out. What's it been like to you? Vic and I earlier in the show were discussing some of the greatest managers throughout WWE history. You're stepping into a very different role. You're still essentially the same MVP character, but... What sort of adjustments have you had to make to become an effective manager to Bobby Lashley as part of the package as opposed to necessarily being the focus? You know, it, again, it's one of those things where it's just organic, you know, the, the, the timing. And I've had people ask me, you know, if, when, when am I going to turn on Bobby and go after the WWE championship? <laughs> like, I have no desire to work that hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at a point in my career where, look, look, hey, MVP, you got to go after the United States Championship. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. So in terms of adjustments, you know, I'm just adjusting to life after wrestling. While I can still wrestle, and, you know, I will still wrestle periodically, um, for the most part, the, as you made the statement earlier about, you know, great managers, I enjoy stepping into a Paul Heyman-like role. 
And in my case, uh, I'm a guy that can still climb into the ring and can climb behind the, uh, as you know, as we just did recently, uh, sit behind the commentary table and also, you know, fill my backstage vignettes. So honestly, I think MVP has the ability to be one of the best managers ever in the history of wrestling. And that's saying something because there have been some legends, Bobby Heenan, Jim Cornette, Paul Heyman, fantastic managers, Gary Hart. The list goes on and on and on. But MVP has the gift of gab like no other. This man can talk. I had, and he's charming as fuck. Charisma coming out of his eyeballs, swagger. I was smiling so much listening to this podcast. This podcast made me the happiest of any other podcast all week. It just put me in a great mood just hearing the conversation. He just seems like a great guy. He seems like a guy I could sit and shoot the shit with. He's smart as hell. He understands the business. And he's young yet. So if he's already talking about it, a big part of this conversation was talking about transitioning from being a wrestler full time. This is his goal. You know, he can still wrestle. And he said that and he said he will if he can. But that's not the idea anymore. The idea is to transition into being management. Or he said he could, he mentioned he could be a commissioner, or, you know, something like that. He could be a commentator. He can be anything he wants because he has the gift of gab like almost nobody in the business today. And he's young enough to be around for the next 20 years, maybe more. And I love it. I would love to see it. He's half the reason or more that Bobby Lashley is the champion right now. He's the mouthpiece. He's the charisma. He's the one that's talking people into caring about Bobby Lashley. Then Bobby goes out and gets it done in the ring. They're a team. I don't know why the fuck they broke up the Hurt business. Vince woke up one day and fucking had a stick up his ass. Didn't like the way fucking Shelton did something or and fucking cut them both from the Hurt business. Why? Because he's a fucking crazy old man. We've talked about this. We've been talking about this. But that's a sidebar. It doesn't matter. Focus on Bobby Lashley. But as, as a matter of fact, to that, uh, Bully Ray actually talked about it on Busted Open one time. He said the way that Vince thinks going into WrestleMania, he wanted the spotlight to be on Bobby. That's a fair point, too. That very well could be. Get rid of all the distractions. Just the man, the champion, and his manager. And can you imagine? Picture this. Bobby Lashley, the dominant beast, the monster, whether at SummerSlam or maybe next year's WrestleMania, undefeated, still champion, tearing through everybody, the new Brock Lesnar managed by MVP, and he takes on the old Brock Lesnar, Brock Lesnar. Not the old, old Brock Lesnar, Bill Goldberg, but the old Brock Lesnar. I'm just fantasy booking here. They don't pay me to do that shit, so take me with a grain of salt. But you get my point. You understand where I'm coming from. I'm into it. I'm into the gimmick because, and to be honest, I never like. I never had a problem with Bobby Lashley, but he never stood out to me. He was never, I mean, he, I still wouldn't say he's a favorite, but I am way more impressed way more into the character, the personality of Bobby Lashley than I ever have been. I'd been tuned out of TNA by the time that he had his epic run there, but I kept hearing about how great he was. 
And now I get to see it on this level. I think Bobby executes it in the ring. <clears throat> I think he's at the peak of his career as far as in-ring quality. I think he's believable. He's a monster. I think he's a great human being. If you listen to him talk in interviews and such, he's a great person to represent your company as a champion. And then you got MVP as part of the package, his fucking manager, his fucking mouthpiece, the charisma, the arrogance, the swagger of an MVP. The combination is championship material, and that's why Bobby's the champion right now. Everybody was shocked that they took the win away from Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania. Bobby was the better man to go with. We already had a whole year of Drew McIntyre. Where did it get us? Pandemic era? Yes. But we're not handing out trophies here. Guy doesn't get to win the match just so he gets to relive and redo, have a redo of his moment as fucking winning the championship at WrestleMania. No, it's Bobby Lashley's time now. I like what they're doing. MVP is essential to that. Uh, go check out this interview. Like I said, it made my day. It's not groundbreaking. It's not the most newsworthy or awesome fucking podcast you're going to listen to this week, but it's a good conversation. It's a good way to kind of get a feel for MVP, the man, a little bit more, and hopefully it'll have you smiling like it had me smiling. WCW legend, Mr. JL, was on the AEW Unrestricted podcast this week. Of course, I'm talking about Jerry Lynn, who's now an agent Slash producer, slash coach, slash guy behind the scenes that helps guys put together matches. That's him. That's that's his job. He wears a polo with the logo on the shirt. Anyway, he was on Unrestricted, talking with Aubrey, talking with Tony Schiavone, Mr. Tony Schiavone, our father. Check out this clip where he talks about the origins of the Mr. JL concept, the gimmick, the mask. Listen to this. And I like to know this too, Jerry. Why did you, why did WCW have you wrestle in a mask, but then use your actual initials, Mr. JL, uh, for your ring name? It was my idea. The mask idea was my idea because I'd been, it's been, I think, what, seven, seven, seven and a half years since I broke in the business. And I asked Brad, I said, what do I got to do to get a break? He says, well, the business has changed. He says, it's all TV now. So it's all about capturing the viewer's attention so they don't change the channel. It's got to be something more visual. And I'd been going to Japan quite a bit and saw a lot of cool mask gimmicks. And I thought, no one in the States is doing a mask right now. Right. So I had I was working in a screen printing shop at the time, and I had a friend of mine in the art department uh, help me come up with a design. And at the time, I, the Power Rangers were huge on TV. So I thought... Let's come up with something that's sort of like Power Rangers and sort of like alien-like, like little crossover between those two. And that's, he came up with that outfit. And it cost me $1,250 to get the outfit made because there wasn't a lot of gear makers running around back then. So I found a company, I think they were called Satin Threads. And they did everything from choir gowns to wedding dresses, you name it. So the labor was very expensive. So they made the actual first outfit. And then I sent pictures and video footage of me in the outfit and WCW said that's exactly what they've been looking for. So the first night, this is only probably a couple hours before going live. 
it was, and I've talked to Kevin about this and I don't blame him at all. Uh, it was Kevin Sullivan and I, a couple other people there. They're saying, so what do you want to be called? And I'm throwing out these names like the Phantasm or the Cyber Knight or something like, you know, just throwing names out. <laughs> and Kevin Sullivan says, well, they said, well, we don't want to just slap a name on you without researching any copyright infringements. And this is two hours for the first show. And Ke <laughs> Kevin, so ah. Kevin Sullivan was booking at the time. And he says, eh, what the F? Call him Mr. JL. And I just thought inside my head, this is the beginning of the end. I thought $1,250 <laughs> down the drain. The idea behind it was solid. If he felt that nobody was really doing that in the U.S. these days, then he was maybe onto something. He felt he could do something with that. And Kevin Sullivan, he's a very creative guy. So he couldn't come up with anything better than Mr. JL when the guy's name is Jerry fucking Lynn? How creatively bankrupt you got to be to go... Uh, call him Mr. JL. It just wasn't well thought. I knew he was Jerry Lynn, and I didn't even know who Jerry Lynn was early back then. But I knew that was him. I've seen him somewhere. I don't know. He was around. He's a journeyman. He's been there. He's done that. Of course, he really made his name and his bones in ECW, which he says in this podcast, he never even really wanted to go there. Wasn't a fan of the hardcore stuff. Wasn't going to let some idiot hit me over the head with something, he said. And eventually, he ended up getting whacked over the head with chairs and bleeding all over the place and all that fun stuff anyway. But hey, don't we all? Don't we all reach that age? You know, Terry Funk did it, where you just you've had a good career of real wrestling. And it's time to switch things up a little bit. And let's just throw in some explosions and some fucking barbed wire and nails and let's just see where things go you know let's just feel it out a little bit see if we can have a little fun we'll just write die on our forehead with our opponent's blood and just see where things go tis the way of the business i suppose but i recommend going to check out this interview jerry sounds like a great guy can't say i've heard a whole lot from him as far as interviews and things like that but apparently he has his own podcast i don't know i can't listen to all of them guys I, I can't. I can only do so much. But apparently, him and Mikey Whipwreck have one. Uh, he said it's on hiatus anyway, so it doesn't fucking matter. But Jerry Lynn doing his thing, being a coach slash producer slash agent slash guy that helps put the matches together. That's him over in AEW. If you're interested in what he's got to say, you want to hear a little bit more. You want to hear wrestling's dad Tony Schiavone and wrestling's favorite girl referee. Sorry to that one in WWE. Then listen to AEW Unrestricted this week. Thank you guys again for checking out the show. I gotta thank you every single week. I am so fucking thrilled to death from the bottom of my heart that people actually take the time to listen to me talk about wrestling. That's fucking awesome. That's awesome. That makes me so happy. I appreciate you guys. You mean a lot to me. Thank you for listening all the way through thank you for following me uh if you haven't yet check me out on social media facebook twitter or whatever the fuck at seth grimes media throw me a like or a follow or however you do it and uh see what i got to say check me out on youtube we got the show on youtube we do do the full episodes and we also do clips so if you just want to hear a segment here or there or you want to Maybe see what else I've covered in the past, but don't want to sit and dig through 500 fucking episodes or 
12 or whatever the fuck I got, go check out a clip on YouTube. Just search it out. Seth Grimes, Pro Wrestling Podcast. Podcast. Got to type it in twice like you're a dumb fuck and you just typed it twice by accident. It'll give you the little red line underneath it saying, hey, idiot, you typed the same word twice. No, I did that on purpose. You try to tell them and it doesn't get rid of the red line. As always, I'm here each and every week, every Sunday. Please continue to check me out. Please throw me likes, subscribes, follows, comments, all of it. I want to interact with you guys. If you have something to say, let's say it. Let's have fun. Let's let's be wrestling fans and build a little community here. Thank you again. I'm Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast. You ready for it? going to get really annoying with this one. Podcast. Okay, that was really bad. Really bad. Like, I might even need to do another take on that one. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to leave it in. Let's leave it in. Goodbye. (laughs)